Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. All right, my show, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, has hit 1 million podcast downloads because of you. This is huge. That means we're in the top 5% of all podcasts among listeners. I want to thank you for listening to the show and supporting what we do. Iron sharpens iron. On this show, we dive into the most pressing news of our time. It's not easy, but it's necessary. Providing insightful commentary and a heavy dose of fact-based truth. We cover criminal justice, politics, social justice, policy, and how racism affects us all. Find Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you are subscribed to our show so you don't miss an episode and don't forget to rate us with five stars. Now that we've reached 1 million podcast downloads, let's get our show to number one in the podcast charts. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon, and scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris.
Hello and welcome to the Friendly Helping Podcast. My name, oh wait, sorry, let's do this again. Hello and welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. My name is Brian Brinkman. I am joined today by Jonathan Hart, RJB, and an empty chair. How is everyone doing today? I'm doing well. I want to know how the chair is. Um, well, <laughs> I was actually out on the beach earlier and I saw this guy um, with a metal detector out oh, no. just scanning the beach. And I was like, hey man, you ever listen to fish? <laughs> 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 And he was like, and then he showed up here. <laughs> Shades guy. and all. What's up, man? That's not that's not RJB. Who is that? Hello, my name is Matt. I'm a fishaholic, and I'd like to talk to, fi- to you guys about fish. Hello, Matt. We can do my that. My name is Brian Brinkman. We're, we're all here. We're all friends today. Today. <laughs> Cheers. RJ and Matt are broadcasting live from the beach. Jonathan and I are broadcasting live from our respective offices where we are on most Mondays, Wednesdays, and non-Mondays that feel like Mondays, which are also known as Tuesdays. Mondays. And today, Tuesdays. Mondays. Monday, Tuesdays. I don't know what it is. But we are here today to talk about Sugarbush. Yes. Sugarbush 95, specifically July 2nd and 3rd, the final shows of Fish's Summer 1995 tour. A tour which I'm going to come in with hot takes already. Are you guys ready for this? Yep. I consider this the greatest Fish tour of all time. And I'm only going to allow Jonathan to respond. I'm with you, dude. Oh, wow. I'm with you. All right. This is my shit. This is entirely my shit. You're going to throw it out right away and say this is better than December, the fall? Yes, yeah. it's complicated. You guys are it nuts. is my, I think it's the greatest fish tour of all time, but I think that December 1995 is the greatest month of fish of all time. This is as logical as my favorite album of all time mm-hmm. is Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, but I would argue that their best album is A Ghost Is Born. Anyone else wants to come up with contradictory opinions? So, so and your favorite fish show is probably from '97, right? It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at the nuance, Brian, which is you know complicated bit. for for radio. You know, You're, it's you're not a shock jock, which which is probably good. It's probably it's a good probably thing. good. Do, do we it's want his his takes outside of the music arena? <laughs> oh man! Well, it depends how deep we want to go. Uh, we were having some very serious backstage discussion. Things, are, times they are changing. Of course, we, we were having very serious backstage discussions, and it was about the beach. RJ and Matt, how is the beach going today? How is it out there? Well, before before Matt answers, I want to tell him that he went from he he did an epic segue of peach into beach. So, peach to beach, peach to yeah. Beach. How was peach? peach? peach. Nice work. Peach was amazing. It's been a lot of uh, travel and hecticness. We went from Northern Virginia to Philadelphia to Scranton to back to Philadelphia and now to Stone Harbor, New Jersey, where we're hanging out and meeting up. Uh, The Peach was amazing. Amazing lineup. Um, Our boy Trey played a magnificent set. 
uh, highlighted by a sit-in from Solis, which I kind of called from a mile away, despite everybody that was uh, predicting that Rick from Goose was going to sit in, uh, which did not happen, though. If you guys saw a picture, they did. They hung out again. They're still their buddies. They did. Okay, they're buddies. Yeah, they're they were all, their friendship. They were all backstage hanging out. Um, were there more was, bananas? I wonder. Everywhere, yeah. everywhere. Okay. It's just like, uh, and people were like, "This is supposed to be the Peach Fest," and Rick said, "God damn it, I, I'm Rick Mitochondria." Or whatever. I can't. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He said, "Give me <laughs> fucking bananas." And uh, they're in the writer, by God. They're in the rider now. Uh, the, the the meme of Billy Strings and Trey on stage. Did you see that? No. At, at that the was end, great. when they were like hugging, and it said, "I think Jonathan, you sent that, right?" It was yeah, like Billy, Billy. Said, like, "Hey, man, I got a bunch of weed backstage," and Trey was like, "Cool." The last guys only had bananas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, great great weekend. Then the Peaches is an amazing festival. We did lots of live podcasting. I don't know if folks saw that on YouTube. Uh, we had some. We had Jennifer Hartswick. We had James Casey. Uh, we had Maggie Rose, we had Daniel Donato, some of our friends. Uh, great to hang out with all of them. Uh, after two and a half years of working with him, I finally uh, talked to Eric Krasno in person. Uh, we oh, had a wow. very celebratory uh, hug and talk, and it was it was really lovely. So uh, all around a great weekend. If you guys have not been to the Peach, I probably shouldn't, shouldn't be telling you this so I can make my arrangements for next year ahead of everybody but uh go the peach is a great festival uh good good vibes all around uh great music and there's a water park uh, which i didn't get to take advantage of because i was working in the afternoons but uh my wife and her friend uh had a great time floating on the lazy river and doing all that stuff so uh check it out next year it's it's a good one I like that the main stage is like an established pavilion type thing instead yeah. of just a stage in a big field. That's kind of rad. That. There's there's cool. cover. <laughs> Jerry there is, which, there, I think. That, yeah. that came in handy multiple times this weekend and in previous years that I've been there, uh, either just for the sun during the day, uh, but we do get some nasty rainstorms up there in the mountains. Um, so that is really cool. There's also like if you're inclined to spend a little bit more money and you know want to be close to the bands um your like vip ticket gets you a seat a specific seat in the hundred section mm. of the pavilion so um Sweet. you can kind of guarantee that you don't have to worry about things uh but we we didn't have that but we would go each night early and claim some seats behind there where it was a little bit more ga the lawn was lovely uh this year because we didn't have any rain at night uh which can damper things um yeah fantastic i want to give one other shout out uh since i've got the please uh, peach uh the black crows uh closed the festival up last night they had the headlining set to finish everything up uh and i've seen the black crows a number of times over the years and to be honest with you like though i love them the past maybe decade a little bit more they were kind of seemed like they were not completely into it they had brought in different members of the band and stuff uh and this show i i, I was kind of worried because i think on the tour they've been playing the shake your moneymaker yeah. album that's yeah. kind of like the focus they had a two-hour slot so i figured they're just gonna play that album and maybe one other song and leave they actually didn't they played a greatest hits set that was Unfreaking believable! Definitely the best Black Crows show I have seen in almost twenty years. Wow. Um, wow. Rocking! Uh, they were on. The song sounded fantastic. Chris and Rich were just so into it. Uh, so if you got an opportunity, go see the Black Crows this summer. They're they're on. 
That's awesome. They just, put out a, they just put out a covers LP or EP of like stuff that came out in 1972. So like uh, Tumbling, I don't remember which songs, Tumbling Dice or something off of uh, Exile. Oh, and, you know, they played, oh Rocks Off. It was probably Rocks Off. Rocks Off. Rocks That's off. what it was. And, oh, killer. Or like losing cool. their shit. That's it was cool. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brian. Oh, sorry. Go RJ. Ahead, Brian. I, just I was just going to say, we. We got a couple more plugs. I want to give one more Pete shout out because we had uh, Osiris family playing there. We 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 hang we hung out uh, at my house streaming Melt and Karina Reichman set, and Melt is led by uh, Marlo Shankweiler on lead yeah. guitar, and she absolutely rips. She produces Inappropriate Happiness, Karina's show. <laughs> My 18-month-old daughter had sunglasses on in the backyard, sprinklers going, dancing like crazy to it. I felt like I was at Peach. It was absolutely amazing. So definitely check them out. Karina's set was was really good, too. I watched that. I was blown away by Mel. We we did see them on the Peach stage, and they played again. And and I talked to Marlo, and I had no idea that she was involved with Inappropriate Happiness, even though I've talked to those cats. Um, But yes, Melt was amazing, particularly if – you are into um, female-centric, female-driven bands because they've got yeah. Marlo and I. I uh, forgive me, I, I forget the lead singer's name, but she was amazing as well. Um, so that that's that was awesome. They're really cool. I got to inter- I interviewed them like during the pandemic because I think their publicist uh, reached out and I was like didn't know what to expect and I listened to their album and the show and I was like, oh wow, they're incredible. Yeah, really Loads cool of energy, really really good stuff. Um, well, Brian, I just want to say quickly, we're, we will talk about Sugarbush 95 at some point, but um, I'm drinking a Tonewood that my wife just picked up from Fred's, which is, which is famous to anyone who knows it. Um, Tonewood is helping us put on a show at the Ardmore Music Hall in two weeks on July 18th. So if you are going to be in town for the fish shows at the man, or if you live in the Philly area, if you just want to come to the show, um, we're going to have an amazing lineup there. Uh, Chris... Forsyth, Tom Hamilton, Daniel Donato. We're going to interview those guys, and they're playing with this backing band that Jonathan and Brian, I think, would say that the backing band is like worth worth the price of admission alone. But we have these amazing guitarists playing with Ryan Jewell, Ron Stabinski, and Andy Cush. Um, it's going to be incredible. So um, check out if you go to OsirisPod.com slash Osiris Live, you can get tickets. Um, Matt and I will be there. Tom will be there. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun, and it's going to be a ton of music. And uh, just want to give that give that plug real quick and and thank you to the people at tonewood for making delicious beer and helping us put on this event absolutely we will be talking about those events here a lot uh in the coming weeks as we move into summer tour which also two more quick bits of business we would encourage anyone out there listening and hanging if you would like to talk about the fish shows that you are attending this summer please hit us up at hf pod on twitter We want to talk with people the day after we do summer tour recaps at 1 p.m. Eastern right here where you're seeing us hang. You could be on screen next to these hands. We're not going to leave. We're not going to leave. We're hanging (laughs) out here through dips. Um, (laughs) We'll hang out with you, talk with you about your experience, crazy stories that you have from the lot. uh, What happened when you were inside the show? What did it feel like being at the venue that we cannot get from afar, from listening to live fish, from watching the webcast? So hit us up online at HF Pod. We're starting to amass a pretty good list of people that we're going to talk to this summer, but we want to talk to you at some point this summer. So reach out to us, please. Not you. 
but not you, you, you over there. No, the other guy. The other guy. I got a right, right I got a DM you. on Twitter today from someone who wanted to who heard Brian's previous announcement and wanted to do a night of dicks recap and I I DM'd him back and was like yeah dude for sure and he like couldn't believe the opportunity so just like he was like this is gonna be so awesome and some people like you know some people get nervous because they're like I gotta go on HF pod tomorrow like just just keep it loose everything's fine everything's gonna be fine we just yeah. we just hang all all you gotta do is show up. Yeah, <laughs> it's otherwise easy. <laughs> like, I mean, listen to the show. If you're going to the show, you just gotta then just wake up and be on the computer at yeah. that time, and we're good. It's gonna be fun. It's easy to tell easy us stuff. what you liked, what you didn't like. We'll yeah. get some dates wrong. We'll get some some track listing wrong. But you know, well, we overall, won't miss any flubs. I'll tell you that much. We'll no, we'll, no. we'll identify every single flub, and still, still, I promise you, at the end of the show, say it was the greatest show ever. So and what, if your opinions that. are bad, we'll just we'll just give Matt's Twitter handle for everybody to <laughs> yeah, complain exactly. at instead of yours. Wait, Matt, so what it'll was be your fine. first quick hit? Was it Mexico? It wasn't a quick hit. It was a full episode. Oh, yeah, it was Mexico. That was before the recap, quick hits right? existed, right, I true. think. And yeah. I did Mexico, and it was the first time I've ever taken notes at a fish show because I was like, I have to be on. I have to know this shit. And then I got on, and I was I didn't read any of my notes, and we talked for three out. First, the first time people. I came on a quick hit, I didn't breathe throughout anything I said. I just spoke for like five uninterrupted minutes and then let RJ talk again. Well, so nervous. Meanwhile, I posted quick hits from like walking around the yard in my rental in Vermont, talking to somebody. You know, it's like it's all very light. No big it's deal. It's a summer tradition. It's a summer yeah. tradition. It's a great tradition. We also want to tell you about our wonderful sponsors. And I promise after we tell you about our wonderful sponsors, we will get to Sugarbush. We are on the bus right now. There's some people hanging on the windows outside trying to get to the venue. RJ's wandering through the woods trying to get in for free. We're just, you know, we're, we're trying to get to the show right now. But we got to tell you about Sunset Lake CBD, who has a line of smokable hemp products that are for the old deadhead as well as the young fish fan as well as the baby goose fan, whatever you will. Someone wearing a little Ted hat like this. Searching, all of us searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects. With nine different strains from this year's harvest, there is something for everyone, even you. The Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show, and Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. All the flowers grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping directly from their farm to your door. Whether you be at a music festival, streaming a music festival, hanging out in your room, playing noise swells on your guitar, hanging with a tone wood, going to an Osiris live event, wherever it may be, Sunset Lake CBD is your friend. It's there to mellow you out without having your head just like spin off into nothingness. It's, it's crazy. It keeps you grounded and light and free all at once. So check them out today. That's a selling point. Check them out today at Sunset Lake CBD and use sunsetlakecbd.com, excuse me, and use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned and Vermont grown. Do you think that, um, is it a, should we convince Sunset Lake to change their tagline to "So your head doesn't spin off of your body"? <laughs> you no, that comes from that's part of the personal but... experience. Really. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Is this still the ad? I just, I just think these ads up on the fly, you know. <laughs> yeah. And with that, the bus has come to a halt. The door is cranking open, and we are 
stepping out into the beautiful ski hill sugar bush in North Faston, Vermont. I want to start this by asking you guys. I have a very specific thought when I think of sugar bush. RJ, when you hear just the word sugar bush and fish, what do you think of? What, is, what goes through your head? I mean, immediately I think of the tape that I got from 71694 with the guy in the background during the Harpua, you know, the Harpua from 71694, which is the end of the summer tour. And Trey's talking about something, you know, Harpua, it's like a bunch of nonsense. And you can hear this guy just say, in Vermont, you do what you want. And that's what I think about every time I think about sugar bush. Because <laughs> it's like... Perfect. It's just so perfect. And I don't know if it's on the audience recordings or if it was just on like whatever tape I had. But um, that's what I think of. What, what about you? Did, you? did you have those? I didn't have those tapes, but uh, that show came out on Live Fish, you know, just as I was getting into the band. And so I heard that show very, very quickly. That was one of the first ones I bought. Did that come out like early in the live... It was, yeah, I think it's like two. Fish two or three. Oh, or shit. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Um, and so I always think of the, um, uh, the, uh, oh, God, what the hell is this song? Uh, I... <laughs> catapult. Um, yes. Catapult, uh, where they talked about Trey, Trey was going to get married. Oh, yeah, you know, oh there ain't going to be yeah. no wedding. And like, I, I just thought that was the funniest <laughs> thing. goes, you wish. Yeah. But that, that whole antelope <laughs> is, that was my, kind of my introduction to like really, killer antelopes yeah that's that always rings in my mind um sugarbush 95 is a whole different beast uh but i think most people would kind of always look back to that yeah. 94 yeah. show right and that's it right it was just 94 95 it was sort of like the, the end of the tours and then it then they were too big or then or, they did clifford ball yeah then, yeah, they the, yeah then they had clifford. a better idea <laughs> probably <laughs> well, well my theory we'll talk is about that because go ahead. after after these shows, the next time they got together, or maybe even a few days later on the phone, you know, it was, hey, we need to do this again, but bigger. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that seems totally fair. Well, we'll talk about it because there's a point during this first set of 7-2 where Trey kind of makes a comment about, uh, there's a lot of you that are getting in here for free. It's getting a little bit too big for us in a sense. You've got to imagine like the vibe of Sugarbush is the right vibe, but they just realize like we can't do it on a ski hill anymore. This has to be bigger. We have to really blow this out. Um, yeah. For me, well, Jonathan, I'll ask you, what are your thoughts when you th- when you hear Sugarbush? it's the unobtainable it's the shows i wished i was at both in 94 and again when they did it in 95 that's that's really what i think of i i don't really regret shows that i've missed but i do look at shows and think man i should have oh well yeah <laughs> and i really should have for 95 94 i have excuses that i had you know but by 95 i should have been there oh well two show tour ender pretty sweet especially when you know what happened the year before it's like if you could if you could do it i mean i couldn't i mean really that fall i should have gotten the car after pittsburgh dead 6 30 and driven north yeah Mm. i'm a little Mm. bit i'm a tiny bit disappointed that you didn't but oh well that would have been a hell of a story i'm sure but you you went to big cypress with with a baby so you you did that was you get a lot of points Thank you. You know, I, it's funny for me because I was just at a ski resort yeah. for four days seeing music that Trey was at uh, over the Fourth of July 
weekends. So it was, the show was actually kind of like easy for me to kind of think of again, although the stages weren't on the bottom of the, um, you know, ski slope, uh, but there were people having to camp up there, which was, you know, their, their, their choice, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to camp on a mountain anymore. I did it one time. That's enough. Camping on a hill is not a good idea. I don't know if anyone out there didn't know that, but I didn't until I did it. Brian, do you it's like kind of, I did, you know, I went to a music festival at a ski resort, um, just outside of Missoula, Montana, when I was in college, it was a very small one. And we camped on a, on a, on a mountainside and it was fine when I was like 22 years old and I wasn't going to bed until four or five o'clock in the morning as it was now give me a hotel. But I think it's all part of the experience. It's all part of the magic of it. You know, you think about a year later, two years later, three years later, when they're playing these giant festivals, everybody's camping at those. Now they've accommodated where you can drive in and out on a night to night basis. But I think it's part of the magic of these runs. I mean, for me, I've only driven by Sugarbush once in my life. I was in Vermont, um, about five or six years ago for a vacation. And I remember coming around a bend and there was a sign that said Sugarbush ski resort four miles ahead or something like that. And I just like got giddy. I got bubbly. I immediately changed the iPad to that run like an antelope that you're talking about, Matt. Like <laughs> I was just like, I'm here. Like this is, this is the space. And you know, Vermont, the last time I was there, which was back in, it was 2016. I remember just like sitting on our back patio at the Airbnb and just thinking like, I get Gamehenge now. Like it just looks like how Trey's always described Gamehenge. These lush green hills, the like sky is this really beautiful color blue. Uh, even in July, it's like really crisp and cool in the morning. It, it sounds like fish heaven to me. I posted it on Twitter right before we went live. Like these shows feel to me like they're so far removed from the world. They've gone from Boston uh, prior to that, they were just outside of New York City in Jones Beach. Prior to that, they're in Philadelphia. Like they're in these big markets, and then they end the summer tour not in a big market. They end the summer tour on a hill in the middle of Vermont, and it really kind of signifies where the band is going to find their magic for the yeah. next, you know, for the next period of their career. Where like how how do we get as far away from reality from society as possible? And this is kind of the first step. So that's always been a huge aspect that's hit me about these. Well, so the the weird thing about Summer 95 to me sound-wise is like they are at, like we were talking about Dave Matthews earlier today in our other show, the live show, which Brian and I do live three days a week. It's super fun. And Dave's like, they followed this trajectory of like release an album, do a tour and like work the material in and then like slowly stretch out a couple songs per show and fish like they're, for the first time playing Jones beach and Nissan pavilion, these huge sheds and their sound is so outrageous. They're not playing for anyone besides like themselves and the hardcore fans, you know, yeah. like it's, it's crazy how that happened. I don't know. Like, I know you guys, Brian, I know you love summer 95 and I like Jonathan, I know you do too. I think it's overwhelming in a way, but, um, it's just crazy that they had these opportunities to play these amphitheaters and they're like, all right, cool. What we're going to do is we're going to like, we're going to play a 35 or 50 minute, you know, tweezer at mud Island or whatever. Like it's wild. I, I want to agree with you. you anyone was like here, should, RJ, you should actually, do you think anyone was like, actually, you guys probably shouldn't do that. Or do you think everyone? Uh, was just it, like, if somebody told them not to do it, it would be why they did it again. 
True. Um, but I <laughs> want to agree with you that this stuff is overwhelming, but that's kind of what I dig about it. I, Same. I want that overload. I want them to give me so much that I have to stop and go back and hear it again. And when they're doing that, that is some of my favorite shit. Like I, yeah. I, I don't want to walk out of a, f- or turn off a fish tape and go, hmm, that's what happened. I want to turn off a fish tape and go, what the fuck just happened? And, and then go back and hear it again. I want that. I, I live for those moments as bits of befuddlement where they're just going balls out and they get there a few times in these shows. And yeah. It's, it's my stuff. I think one thing that will always drive me back to this band is the sense of evolution and the sense that like no singular sound is ever like, that's never going to be the permanent sound. We're never going to get that 97 funk sound. We're never going to get the like true ambient. We're never going to get like Trey's tone from 2.0, even like 3.0 as it's evolved. Um, less dynamically at times like there are eras that you're just not going to get that sound again and i think part of what has always fascinated me about i would combine november 94 and june 95 as kind of one elongated Mm -hmm. period of creativity is what you were talking about rj they have this massive opportunity to level up in terms of the the, the the venues they're playing in the markets that they're playing in they're playing two night runs in these places yeah. they're not just like stopping over for a night and rather than shy away from where they at least on the surface seem to you know consider their next phase their next step in their evolution their their the necessity of kind of challenging each other and challenging their fans and confirming that everyone's along for the same ride Rather than shying away from that, they du- they double down and they go into it completely. And yeah, it kind of sounds like career suicide in some cases, but it's also it's a long game. Uh, it's uh, the approach. same play they played up to this point. Correct. Yeah. I mean, the music is different each time. You know, every year, every fall, every tour, or whatever, it's a little different. But it, again, not compromising the music for the sake of any audience is exactly what. Fish always did. It attracted a lot of people to the band, and it's what kept people coming back to the band. And they knew it. And no exec in a suit is going to convince them that they're wrong about it. Yeah, I mean, and now, and and now in 2022, we're still talking about them, and they're still doing it. So I guess it worked. Made the right decisions all along, and maybe that's the lesson: is like you just stick to your guns. Like they could have, they could have played a nine-minute tweezer and a nine minute David Bowie and a 10 minute Mike song. And like, <clears throat> that would have probably kept people coming back, but maybe it wouldn't have gotten so many people hooked, you know, keeping people guessing, but they also had these milestones, right? Like this end of this summer was a huge point for them. Cause they had just finished this huge tour. And then the next summer is like Clifford ball. And then there's the Halloween. Like they, they, they kept upping the game, which I think it's like a lesson for younger bands. Like you, the album cycle is not like, and it's not what people do anymore, but back then they right. never they didn't do it. It was like right. they were working toward the next cool thing and like creatively and fan engagement wise. It's just it's it's fascinating because I feel like bands now like have to do that to succeed at all. Well, two points I want to turn to Matt for his thoughts on because I'm really interested in what you have to say about this. One, I, I want to just hear generally speaking, what are your thoughts are on Summer 95? But two, to what RJ was just saying, like it seems as though Fish's following only 
like it explodes after summer 1995. Do you think if they had gone with a safer route, they're getting that, that explosion of fans? Or do you think that playing to almost like audience fears and really challenging audiences was a part of the overall growth? I don't know that that was a part of the overall growth. I think it's just like the level to which they were playing at. I think, um, Oh, really? Back to your first question is, which is what do I think about 19, summer 1995? I enjoy it, but I don't, not nearly as much as, you know, fall 95. I think that um, we've talked about this a lot yeah. over the years. Like that was a year where they, or a tour at least, where they basically gave them permission to just, to like go forward at all costs, which they had done a little bit of in 94 and like the Bozeman tweezer and stuff like that. But now as they were doing that, they were actually finding amazing musical uh, developments, you know, mm. 20, 30, 40 minutes into a jam rather than just kind of like pushing, 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 and then ending it. So I think that, you know, summer 95 was still in that experimental phase. They kind of learned how to do things, in terms of breaking new ground a little bit better. But then in the fall, they sort of refined that and figured out how to get to more musical places a lot quicker, which would then, if they were willing to go for 30 minutes, give them more landing spots and more kind of new compositions that they could that they could get to. So yeah. um, I think it's a necessary step. I don't go back to summer 95 that much, except for, for particular things like the Mud Island Tweezer and, uh, you know, the SPAC Free and, and some of that stuff. Um, but I think it's, if you look listen to it within history, it's a very, very important stepping stone to what we're about to get a couple of months later. Yeah. The fall stuff, you know, they have a lot of... Um looser things happening too. They have like the rotation jams and things like that, that uh, I think on tape don't necessarily hold up for a lot of listeners, but things that they were trying to, again, continue to spur new ideas and new perspectives on stage. Um, Trey also had uh, the mini kit debuted that fall. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. other sounds started uh, entering into the, into the game, but here we just have, Everybody on their own thing, aside from yeah. Acoustic Army, <laughs> right? Occasionally, I think that the point you made, Matt, is really pressing about this. It, it's it always to me sounds like a stepping stone towards December in the sense of let's go as far out as we possibly can, and then figure out how do we take that moment that we discovered at thirty three minutes or forty six minutes and shrink that down so that we can find that within five, six minutes, which, yeah. you know, you, you fast forward to parts of 3.0. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, 2012 where the band kind of figured out like, how do, how do we jam in like a 12 to 15 minute long space where it feels like a lot has happened, where it feels like a lot of time has gone by. And if you're at the concert, there's a con- there's a ton of changes. There's a ton of new ideas, but then you look back at your, uh, at your live fish app, 45 minutes after the show and you're like, Oh my God, that jam was just like 13 minutes long. Yeah. You listen back, it's filled with ideas and that kind of, there are micro a lot jams. of jams. I will micro jams. I will admit from summer 95 that are, you're like, wow, I still have 27 minutes to go for me. I'm constantly fascinated by that kind of fear of what happens in that extra 27 minutes. But, um, I think from like a longer term, goal standpoint to get to 
December feels more in line with kind of where the band was going. Um, should we dive into these shows? Cause I think, I think yes. actually the December route is, uh, is an interesting one. Jonathan and I were talking about this before we went live it's more so seven, three, but I think there's an argument to be built around both of them. These feel to me like these stepping stones, like the true stepping stones to December where the band from a structural standpoint is really emphasizing energy and high octane songs right out the gates and then jamming without the Bowie we'll get to and the Bowie we have to probably dedicate like what, at least 35 minutes to because it's our first true jammed out Bowie in this live series. But that notwithstanding, like the jams are a little bit more compact than we've heard throughout the summer. But John, Jonathan, what were your thoughts on this first set overall of seven, two? Uh, it's banging. It's a great set. They come out, you know, with sample cool and to a beautiful divided sky out there in the mountain, looking up the hill, all these people, how great must it have been for the band, everybody on the hill enjoying it. And it's an outstanding divided sky, uh, just high, high, high energy. Um, textbook gumbo, great curtain. Uh, Julius is a rehearsal because, uh, what, 10, 12 days, 11 days later, they're playing uh, Letterman. They play that song there. Uh, Camel Walk. Not as common in 95. I didn't click on the stats, but I know it was, you know, it was just kind of maybe making a comeback there. This was the first one since 89, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, it actually is right there. 757 shows. Uh, So good kick down uh, for the Vermonters, I guess. Uh, Great Reba. Really beautiful Reba. Um, And... Uh, I didn't know it was pretty standard and standard great. While my t- guitar gently weeps, standard great, and rift is ripping, just awesome. And curtain kind of the, and rift in the same set. Curtain and rift in the, the same, curtain oh, yeah, with drought. Yeah. This is very true. Divided sky and rift kind of align for me in this set in the sense that like they're playing so fast, essentially nailing every part of each song. And yet both of those songs feature really beautiful outros. And so you're getting this like melody uh, that like is just like ringing through the, the ski hill. But like they're not just playing these songs note for note, right? They're playing them so aggressively fast. And that's a huge part of like where I, I, I hear the connection to December. December 95 is like the fastest fish I feel like we're ever going to hear. And you can start to hear that at this point in time where it's not just enough to play with a ton of passion and a ton of energy. It's like Trey is on like a mission to see how fast can this band play? And like, can we play our compositions faster and faster and faster, which will ultimately help us from a overall improvisation standpoint. But Matt, what were some of your thoughts on this first set? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I did not listen to it. Uh, I didn't listen I've heard the show That's in the fair. past, uh, I, but I'm here for color commentary because I happen to be on the beach with RJ and we were talking about this and I was like, I've heard those shows. I've got some context, um, but I don't, I, in terms of like specific first set stuff, other than the, the camel walk bust out, uh, which I remember, I will, I will mention something though, that I uh, had been thinking about as I looked at um, some pictures and, and the picture that I think you guys shared on social media to advertise this episode. Um, 
this is just a weird thing to me and Jonathan will kind of make fun of me for being a noob in this respect. But <laughs> in my mind, the, the, in terms of the aesthetics of the band, like 92, 93 was like the Minkins behind the band. 94 was the sales, you know, the three sales and then 95, they dropped that and started doing new things. So it's always, it's kind of disorienting to me when I see a picture from summer 95, like this, thing and i see the sales where they'd kind of like carried that over and then they didn't change things up until the fall um but i'll say that only to to mention that that uh, on a the side of a mountain in vermont is basically as fish as it gets yes that's like core the look of the band you know the three sails in vermont with mountains behind them that's that's fish right there you know so which i think speaks to like how you know, critical this time was in terms of like defining who they were as a band, you know? When I think to that point, like, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just stating this off, off the dome right now, but this is their last, these are their last Vermont shows until the Flynn theater specialty show for on three eighteen ninety seven. I, th- I think that that's right. I think that's uh, maybe, right. I guess if you call a uh, consider like the fifth, ball uh but i think that was possibly in new york uh in early 96 and early 97 but i think that these are the last shows until they played the flint in 97 the last vermont shows is that right that's right so Uh, we think so if so if if i'm wrong somebody out there in the comments uh no that was 95 that was before um yeah yeah 97 was the uh flynn show for the release of ben and jerry's ice cream um which means like they really don't have a lot of Vermont shows until I forget August two thousand four. Did something happen? I don't know. We'll move on. Yeah, I think something um, happened. I don't but remember. like this but. is like kind of like the band hugging their fan base and being like, "Hey, we are we cannot really come back and play here logistically. It doesn't work out that much. Like this is it. The next time you see us in a setting like this, it's going to be." across Lake Champlain on a giant Air Force base because that's the only place that we can do and something like that at. Arguably, that's real close. I mean, that's it's yeah. not close. the same, but geographically, it's not that far yeah. Yeah. Um, from their home base. About, like, so I think it was a, a great choice. States are dumb. Yeah. RJ, drove... do you have any... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to ask if RJ had any first set thoughts before we press on, but uh, you've got driving experience, so... Nope. He's shaking it off. Go ahead, Brian. I, I drove from Albany to Vermont for that whatever happened in August 2004. And I remember driving past the Plattsburgh exit and being like, this looks like Vermont. So I yeah. get I get what you mean. The borders don't matter there. Um, set two. We've got Runaway Jim, Makasupa, Son of a Mule in its preferred slot. Tweezer. Ha ha ha. Sleeping Monkey, Acoustic Army, Enslaved to the Traffic Light. Um, Back to kind of like what I was thinking in terms of the transition from here to December. Like this feels like it could be a December 95 set. You've got huge jam vehicles that are stretched to about 18 minutes. You've got goofy songs in there. You've got Scent of a Mule right smack in the middle of the set. Uh, Andrew hits his preferred destination. Acoustic Army, Slave Ending Things. It's a fluid set. Makasupa even like showcases some 
noise and some experimentation um, towards the back end of it. But the Runaway Gym, we were talking before we went live. I mean, this is a wild, wild version yeah. of Runaway Gym. It's, 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 it's no Raleigh, but it's really good. It's slightly more refined. Like Matt's point earlier about the December shows being like, if you take Live Fish 1, the twelve fourteen show, that's basically like everything is completely refined. You know, like this yeah. is like, this is getting there, but it's like a funnel, you know, it's like slowly getting, but it's still like way more cacophonous in this, in this month than it would be in December. Like you get, you get to 12, 14, 95 and things are like, it's a perfect, like the perfect amount of noise experimentation, but also moving forward. Like this is still, you get this rhythmic cacophony, which is, it's cool to hear, but, and I would rather listen to like, 18 minutes of it than 55 but it's still like moving in the right in that direction i had forgotten about this jam it's it's pretty wild yeah and i think an important part of that is um knowing that like maybe it doesn't work but they were able to establish a through line like the getting into makasupa is one thing and that's fine but it, what they do to get out of makasupa in a three mm. five minute like noise jam like it's very easy to at that point on stage say like okay we're just gonna like stop and we'll do something else but to be able to find that like somebody's got to throw something out there's going to be an idea and we're going to latch onto it relating back to 12 1495 i think about that when i think about the outro to like uh, the jam out of Haley's Comet yeah. or something like that, mm, where yeah. like it just gets to a noisy place and they could have stopped, but then it's like, duh, 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 like yeah. they, they catch yeah. on. And I think that's what they do here that they probably learned about from the show that the Makasupa just like it keeps the, the energy going. It's, it's interesting to me because like that Haley's Comet and the NICU strike me as a band that is like fully refined the Hay Hole exercises, where mm. it's here's a riff. Now you play the riff. Now you play the riff. And like, they kind of go around in circles, but it's a band that is coming out of a tour where they kind of use the hay hole exercises to see how do we just like distort our music and make it as obscure and out there and have no center of gravity, no home. Like these summer 95 jams almost strike me in similarity. They're, they're way more aggressive, but like, a dark star from 1972, 1973, where there's like no home. They're just, it's the band just saying like, how do we get as far away from each other while still playing, you know, in, in some unified uh, manner, you get to December and you're hearing a band that's saying, how do we take everything we just learned and stay as fully connected and as quick uh, in terms of our changes as, as possible. Um, Jonathan, are you, ready to slam your microphone down are you uh, how, what, what are your thoughts on that comp I, I feel like they are super together on this runaway gym uh which is probably why it's only 18 minutes um yeah because they definitely some of the longer jams definitely uh have players kind of falling out of passages and whatnot but this one i think it really it's got everything i like musically from the summer 95 but it is shorter um, it got me out of my chair in my office dancing. That this is entirely my shit right here. Can you reenact here. that? Can you reenact that? No, part? no. Sorry, I'm busy now. The only people who are um, going to be able to see it are the people tuning in live. Everyone yeah. who's listening is just going to be able to hear you. Sorry, I have to save that for HF Pod Premium. Yeah. <laughs> um, subscribe, but it's great. Media on Apple Podcast. What he said. Um, 
and I do love the way it flows into Makasupa. Uh, Neil makes a nice point about the dank quote being a reference to the people holding up signs, looking for nugs on lot there. I think it's, you know, fascinating to look back at 1995. And I know that, Nugs and Dank and 420 were part of the nomenclature around the scene then, but to hear Trey drop it on stage is interesting uh, from 1995 when it took a lot of popular culture a lot longer to catch on to these phrases and things. Yeah. Um, the noise jam out of Makasupa is absolutely worth It's a keeper. It's absolutely great. Scent is decent. And then as a treat, the tweezer is exactly the tweezer that RJ wants and doesn't expect to get in summer 95 because it's like 13 minutes. Yeah. It rips. It doesn't let up. It doesn't lose track of itself. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like, you know, straight off the note sheet either. Like they go off a bit, but they keep it tight and, uh, and it's awesome. And deservedly well, goes into ha ha ha. To this is like the the return to the original tweezer or something like that. Uh, like that's after all that's how the notes on experimental pushing tweezers. That it's like they finally just like got back to basics. With a little calls it the return to relative normalcy. I say yeah. quote relative because this is still a great version too. Hmm. <laughs> it's a good show i forgot i mean i'd like kind of forgot maybe the seven three show is the show that i got the tapes for first or something seven three show is way more familiar to me than seven two is that this sh- this show feels this was the first one that i got um uh, way after you got it so who knows on laser disc right standpoint. i got it yeah it was uh it was blu-ray <laughs> of every summer 95 show i had to put it in my parents blu-ray player and listen to it um that's how we listen to music in 2001 um this feels like set list wise like that like a fan-friendly set uh, show in a sense it almost feels like the tour finale and the penultimate show are kind of reversed as we're going to get into seven three here in a second that has a bit more weirdness in set two. Um, this show to me is just like, this is a celebratory summer fish show that feels this, like this is the Sunday show. Of, this is, this is the this Sunday is. show. This is for the, this is for the fans, but this is also for the weekend types. The hardcores went to Monday and they got rewarded. The Monday show, which is a really wild. I'm just noticing this. So the final run of this summer was, Friday night in Great Woods, Saturday night in Great Woods, Sunday night in Sugarbush, and Monday night in Sugarbush, which Monday I guess night. aligns perfectly with the holiday, which would have been on Tuesday. So the band just decided, let's give them a long weekend, and this is the Sunday night show. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I didn't think about that. Yeah, Monday I didn't either. It's wild. Man, good for them. And apparently, they were. I mean, I assume that it was pretty, pretty well attended. I think it was very well attended. There were there were people reported to to be sneaking into the show. It was so well attended. Wandering um, in for free, I think is the term me, phrase right. used. In Trey used. I thought Trey was all about access to music. He doesn't tell everybody to get the f out. He yeah, does encourage true. them to, because the it's a benefit, and this is in the banter in the first set of night one, uh, it's a benefit for an organization I can't remember the name of right now, and says, you know, good, they have a table over there, and uh, feel free to go over and give them money you might have paid for a ticket to them, because it's a great cause. Yeah. And I think that is a nice, um, nice way a, to put it on his part. It is. 
Very, very nice way to put it. it would Let's be go. Like very not trade to be like, get the fuck out of here. You <laughs> raise your right hand kid. if you didn't pay for a ticket. Okay. These All right, you the Metallica get. move. I think. Um, <laughs> No, no, no offense, Metallica, but some. let's let's um, uh, let's move to the second night. So we've gotten in the bus, we've made our way back to our campground, we've had a great night partying, listening to whatever music people listened to in 1995. So we had a walk-in um, that we passed around; it was so great. <laughs> I had a boombox, bro. Come on, get with it. You can't like bring RJ, a boombox on tour. AD batteries. Yeah, dude. RJ, I, RJ I even had an extra a, set of them. Yeah. RJ was putting on a devil sticks performance back, uh, <laughs> back at our campground. Uh, oh, Jonathan, yeah. Matt and I are I'm playing a hacky sack. Guy. Yeah, there yeah, you man. go. Wait, so Brian and Jonathan, wait, so why do you, I'm just looking at the sellers from seven, three. I mean, it's pretty wild and it gets out there, but what, what do you think this is a more straightforward show? I think, and we'll get into it here with the second set, especially with the David Bowie. We'll get into it. I Let's think that this now. show. Do it, do, do, it, it, do, it, bro. do it, bro. Yeah, yeah. We'll so do we, it. you started. You had a comment before we started, and I'm going to go ahead and say what you said, so then you can defend it instead of trying to get you to remember it. Uh, that the it. first set was uh, it, this was straight out of fall, possibly even December '95, opening with my friend Poor Heart Antelope, the Antelope Loving, loving Cup, right in the middle of the set, which are really set closers, you know. Yeah. But right in the middle yeah. of the first set, you said this is straight out of the late '95 playbook, didn't you? Yeah, that was my feeling when I was listening to it. Like there was, I, I did. I will defend this. Um, okay. There. <laughs> It was a move throughout December where the band seemed to say, okay, this is a set closing song, but it has a ton of energy, or this is an opening song. Let's do openers and closers kind of back to back to back. I think Philly 95 is the perfect example of this, where you get like six set openers in a row and it's just the band just like piling energy upon energy upon energy. It's a great show. And this, you get my friend, poor heart, both could be openers, antelope, loving cup, both could be closers. You you keep it going with Sparkle at that point in time, which is played at just like breakneck speed in, in 1995. Really, the first break you get is in If I Could, which is a gorgeous version of If Maybe I Could. Maybe the spacey bit of It's Dice. Possibly <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. That's depending your, that's on your where your head pain. was at. But even that, yeah, if you're depending on where your head's at, you're like, what the hell is going on in this show? You go right back into Maze, another small break with Strange Design, and then Free and Cavern to end it out. It just feels like one of those sets that the band is almost challenging you to keep up with them. And they're taking slight breaks. But even if I could, like, I was listening to that this weekend, and I was thinking, like, the, the solo out of it, in the if, if you listen to it, like, not thinking of it necessarily as, like, a ballad, it, it sounds like Trey's channeling, like, David Gilmore. And it sounds really psychedelic, but really beautiful. It's soaring. And it doesn't necessarily sound like a breather in the right setting. It sounds like they're just like, they're setting you down and then saying, here's more energy that we're going to keep pushing yeah. uh, forward with the outro to this. What are you guys so what you're saying is up? if you couldn't, if it's ice was too intense for you to get chill, if I could, wasn't going to get you there either. It wasn't going to get you there. <laughs> yeah. You weren't going to take a breather until strange design. I don't think Definitely. I have a lot to add on first set other than I, yeah. I think it's a really good one. Antelope is a ripper. Um, I think they jam charted it. Um, I didn't it think is. it was especially long, but it gets out intense as, but the way Antelope auto 
Um, and I think it's a great, just great first set. I just want to add, I just want to, Neil Landry's comment is on the stage, on the, on the screen. It's not on stage. It's good. But Detail. Brian said that we had a great night at the campground and that everything was chill, but Neil said it took hours to get back to the campground. It was awful. So maybe Jonathan's boombox just sat there unused with all the D batteries and we were all sitting there just trying to get back there. That's all People I were paging me asking now, when you were going to do your devil sticks routine, but I, I, I couldn't was, get to a payphone. Playing the boombox until no, four and five thirty in the morning. Uh, people loved it. Everybody was just super into the Casey and the Sunshine band tape that I brought. I have to say, I think this first set is pretty similar to like my first show, which was three months later. I think half the songs that they played at the first set here were at the first set of my first show. I think it was like a, you know, like you said, Brian. I mean, not nothing bad or 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 even. You know, like there's no breaks really. It's just a very, very like standard 95 first set, which I like. I think it's great. Standard great. That's standard great. Would say. But, 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 but I heard that there's something that happens in set two that you guys want to talk about. Yeah, set two. The wizards. What trash. <laughs> well, I think it's important to talk about. Very missed a fucking note. That's why, during, we, that's why we all stopped going on tour. During Fish's <laughs> supposed greatest tour, as some people have said, Trey completely butchers the lizards and they can't even finish it and they have to go into Big Black Furry Creature from Mars. I guess I'm going to ask you're getting you ahead guys, of ourselves. We why did you continue first. to go see this band? Yes, you're right. And I'm not going to oh, There was a bust question. out, huh? There was a bust out. So we get two big bust outs in this run. The first one was the night before Camel Walk. The second one is Timber. Yep which is performed for the first time since December 30th, 1992, which was 258 shows wow. prior. But this was the first complete version since December 1989. Important distinction. Quite. Um, it. It's wild to me. Like, I can't think of, it, it kind of makes sense. Like, I can't imagine Timber being played in 1993 Fish. Like, it just sounds, there's like an evil nature of it that, sounds like it's fitting a band at this point in their overall career. And like, it makes sense as a bust out to me, but it's really cool to hear it in this slot. And it was back with a vengeance. Like it didn't yes. like camel walk still stayed fairly sporadic for a while, but uh, they played it at this sugar bush show. And then it was back on 10, three, 10, eight, 10, 20, 10, 28, and so forth and so forth. A bunch yeah. of times that 12, fall. 14, and winter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, twelve fourteen, eleven yeah, twenty five, which I was at. My first um, where it went into <laughs> Kong at Hampton. So, uh, yeah, yeah I'm anyways, looking at it. badass, amazing song, and cool to have back, and great version right here too. I'm looking at the stats on it. There's the the longest gap for this song would be eighty shows from Oswego in summer of '99 through Polaris 714 2000. Besides that, there's no 100-show gap that this song is ever going to have at this point going forward. It's basically going to be in the rotation, if not slightly afterwards. So um, you're hearing like a return of a song that's going to be played on a regular basis. But this goes into... Before we get into it, I have to apologize to Jonathan directly because we've been we've been doing this podcast together for almost a year since we brought back HF Pod Live. And we haven't we haven't done a massive bowie. And this is our first massive bowie that we're doing. So um I want to give you the floor to talk about this bowie. It's good. 
No. Um, this is a great one, man. This is like, uh, this is the shit. This is what you want David Bowie to do. And they don't all have to be like this. They don't all have to be 30 minutes master works or whatever, but please let's try. Um, it's, uh, you know, out of timber, we get into Bowie and just barely, they keep teasing timber and it's fucking cool. And, uh, and they just go off. It gets out there. Uh, Johnny be good reappears. Uh, the first one having been a few weeks earlier at Nissan pavilion in the middle of a tweezer, which was kind of far out there. And, uh, I mean, this is, I, I, I don't, I didn't write notes down. I listened to it again today and just, this is, this is everything I want from David Bowie. And God damn it. You read that Nissan Pavilion show, right, Jonathan? Yes, I was. My wife was there also, which means my wife saw her first show before I saw my first show, which like explains I, I knew she was cooler than you. Exactly. Everyone, everyone says that. And I, it's, it should be offensive, but it's, it's not. That's yeah, cool. I mean, good for you. Yeah. Married somebody cooler than you. It's, but it's the dream. It's, the summer '95. I mean, this is. I think it does get a little more refined, right? Like even this, the, the Bowie is like a little more. It's 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 like a little bit more focused. But maybe that's it's bad. A more focused, and you get it's got a lot Johnny going good, on, though. which which kind of brings it back to home before it goes out again. I'm curious, like for you, RJ thinking of this tour, like it's like filled with cacophony, like cacophonous noise. Do you hear a version like this that like gets out there and then goes back to a very classic rock song and then out there again? Is that yeah. allow you to enjoy it a little bit more? I mean, I, I enjoy it all, but I do think there's a, there's an evolution in, in 95 that I maybe didn't give credit for before. Like I see like Mud Island and Binghamton 95 as like complete, opposites but also tent poles the temples yeah and there is a there is a progression from one to the other so can i can i absolutely can i I tell you something yes uh and i'll tell this to the fine folks out there uh i thought you wanted me to mute there's there's a there's a lot of uh there's a lot of children out there and our wives yeah we're at the beach and i think we might need to go out there and like provide some uh some assistance you know the the whole situation you know the middle the the wives are drowning aren't they the Mud Island tweezer, the middle part. That's what it sounds like that's out what, there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's yeah. a sounds nice awesome. Sound. No, no, not, not that yeah. part. The other part. <laughs> I love that bit too, but you guys go enjoy it. All right. You guys go enjoy the beach. Thank you all. We'll, we'll talk you to you guys later. Good to see Bye. you all. Thanks guys. We're still here. We're still Archie didn't want to have to admit how good this David Bowie is. So he had to leave. So I have a written statement from RJ about this David Bowie that says, I'm sorry for everything I've ever said that's negative about Summer 95. This is one of the best jams I've ever heard. And I want to put it in writing and make sure that everybody knows that I was wrong about Summer 95. The thing that's crazy about that statement from RJ, though, is this isn't the best Bowie from Summer 95. So he's, he's, he's still slightly wrong here. Um, which uh, which one do you think is the best from Summer '95? My personal favorite Bowie from Summer '95 is the Man. That's a pretty good one. It's a pretty it's good. It's great. One. Well, what about you? Well, I'm I'm biased. I saw the one like 
right before that at uh, Deer Creek. And I really okay. liked that one. But I, I was still one. at a point where I was comparing them all to one from a little town in New England called Providence. Because I'd been at that too. Uh, so, yeah, I was really biased. Do you have a favorite show from Summer 95? I don't know that I do. So many of them have s- such distinct tent poles, if you will, that I have a hard time kind of discerning a complete show that really holds everything for me. I think this run at Sugarbush is a could could possibly accomplish what no one show from the summer tour can do for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the one. Maybe that's it. Uh, because we've got the deep jams. We've got the tight stuff. We've got the shorter songs that are amazing. We got Neil Landry correct comment that the correct answer is not Waterloo. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. I hear you. That's a whole other episode. We should someday talk about that. Um, you know, it's not Raleigh because I wasn't there uh, for the Runaway Gym. Uh, although that shit's dope, right? But I don't know if it's the whole show. I just can't even. I can't even pick out the rest of the show in my brain because the Runaway Gym stands out. So I don't know. So my first... and I don't want to be the guy who says it's the one I saw or a couple, right, right, right. couple. So my first four tapes, I don't remember what my fifth tape was, but my first four tapes I received in this order were 11-17-1994, set one. Uh, actually, I do remember my first five now that I think about it. Um, 9-14-1999, which is just a wild and incredible fish show. 10 7 2000, which was kind of interesting to get that as one of my like earliest fish shows and, and kind of had that be Wild. an early example of what fish was. Um, 1124, 1995, which is kind of just like a, it's an okay show. To that one. There's a great shout out to Mario Lemieux. It doesn't really have anything crazy going on in it. And then the fifth show that I got on tape, which the guy who was getting me into fish was like this one, like you've heard, some really good fish at this point in time. This one's going to kind of mess you up in a, in a really good way. So I don't really know what that means. It was 626.95 from SPAC. And that show, to me, that is summer 95 in, in every great way possible. You get this super high energy set one, this really weird distorted bathtub gin towards the end of the set. An amazing possum. For anyone who ever doubts possum, Listen to 95 possums. They're so good. And this is one of them. Another RJ shout out. But then the downward disease into free is such a moment. It's so wild. It's so weird. It's so bizarre. Um, I think that that would probably be my favorite overall show of the summer tour. But there's so many good ones. We didn't even talk about Finger Lakes. Yeah. Uh, And Jesus, that's a whole other episode too. It's a whole other episode. We didn't even talk about the stash and i didn't know because what we have to do is get back to 7395 which we've gone completely off the rails like a okay, summer good, 95 i was gonna has. i had two points before we get back on the rails a curtain into stash oh, from 617 um and b <sighs> i love how you tell me you're gonna give us in true brian fashion i'm gonna give you the list of the first four tapes i ever got and then you give me five so thank <laughs> you um so 
after this Bowie, which is just a freaking masterpiece, they 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 shred ACDC bag and take it just a little bit out. They got a little more, a little more, but they not too far, not too far. Too and far. then they were like, oh, let's do the lizards. And then they fuck up the lizards. Trey can't remember the words. Fishman gives them a hard time for it. Says he needs it's kind of awesome. Which, which is hilarious because Fish has kind of ribbon him over needing a teleprompter. And they use 1995. <laughs> which is, I, I hold nothing against the need for a teleprompter. Yeah, it's, but, uh, it's a lot of words, not to mention so many words. notes. Right. Um, right. And then they make up for it with the big black furry creatures from Mars. Um, and I would just like to say that the uh, I saw them at the Cap Center that fall, and Fish fucks up Rift, and Trey does not let him slide without commenting on it. So, you know, they're on each other about these things. It's kind of great and kind of fun. Uh, they love each other. But, yes, big black furry creature from Mars, not out of standard, pretty ripping. Mm-hmm. If if this song could ever be called standard, which is a, a whole other discussion, maybe. It's a song that I'm so glad is in Fish's catalog. Because oh, shit. it it's there it's there for moments like these. Like the thing that will forever make me return to this band is the sense of anything can happen and also the sense that when in doubt, when humanity, like when, when us as, when we as people show, because there are moments where Trey is playing something, the band is connected and you're like, there's no way that humans can do this. There's just no way. I mean, I remember when I was getting into fish, I was constantly being told by old fish heads that they're actually aliens. Like this isn't, people don't do this. And when they fuck up, they have a song like Big Black Free Creature from Mars to not only bring you back to Earth and kind of transition, but also to transition with humor. And transitioning with humor and moving through a show with humor is such a thing that is like – it's such a core aspect of what makes makes the fish experience so special. Um, a Day in the Life. And then we get the double closer, Possum and Squirming Coil. And it's a ripping possum. And a gorgeous squirming coil. And it shows the like yin and yang of the band at this point in time where they can play so aggressive. They can play so fast. They can terrify you. And then they can play something like squirming coil that's really just there to like massage your temples and like make sure that you feel at ease and kind of take you again on an adventure. But also like you close out the set not being shocked, but more being just like, thank you guys so much. I mean, I think you nailed that. It's um, it's gorgeous. It's exactly the same length as the uh, the night before. Um, what was the closer than the, the uh, slave to the traffic light from the night before? Yeah. Uh, sorry, my set lists were not uh, loading up for me. Um, and uh, it's it's perfect. But I w- I want to ask you about this encore, Brian. Um, yeah. And not the antics for Amazing Grace, but about Simple, which is 10 minutes long, which is, this is a two-minute song, um, but this is a 10-minute version. And come next summer, this song would really take on like a real life. Are, are we, is this like 
you know, them finding the door and just like really turning this into a song, a true song. I'm honestly surprised that this was not played. This was not a jam chart because there's a significant jam off of it. And then it goes into this like kind of noisy cacophony like space that um, it feels like the one last look back at summer 95, like Trey throws the sirens on Fishman starts like pounding on the snare page starts like pounding on the, on the uh, grand piano. And it like gets that weird psychedelic space in just looking at, recent performances so this is seven three most performances since um 12 30 94 was played back-to-back shows 12 30 94 and then again on 12 31 94 from 12 31 94 through 7 3 95 um, every performance but one either kicks off a set or kicks off the encore and it's the song that like is still trying to find a home but to your point by next summer it's going to be inserted for a significant period in time into mike's groove and when it's thrown in there it's going to build off of the jam of mike's song and by the time we get to the fall of 1996 we're going to hear this song fully explode into a jam vehicle and a song that really pushes the band forward to 1997 so i think i'd argue with you that like i'd agree with you this is kind of like a start of the next phase of the song's life. Right. I mean, there is like the Ann Arbor 94 one that's like 30 minutes long, but that one is still that in coming out of mics. feel like outliers. That one's coming out of mics. Uh, yeah. WIC probably is, is the, the Chicago show, you mean? Uh, the UIC yeah. one. Yeah. It's probably the same thing. Um, but otherwise, even the jam charted ones are shorter than this until Lake Placid. 1016-96. I loved this. I had, when I was re-listening to this show, I got through Coil and I was like, do I, you know, I know what a simple encore sounds like. I know what Amazing Grace sounds like. Do I, do I listen? But then you see it's 10 minutes long and you're like, I better go ahead and play it. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I just, I was so thankful to do it because it was a fascinating version that I I really recommend people checking out. And again, it feels to me like, you know, the end of the tour is always so interesting, especially when there's a defined sound that, you know, the next time the band steps on stage, something new is going to be afoot. And it, it feels like this is that last gasp of that summer 95 sound, which we'll never really hear again. Like the band from here on out is, is working on whatever is next and also refining and kind of maximizing their sound. This sound is so unique to these four weeks. And then it's gone pretty much forever yeah it's um i mean we've kind of touched on some of the stuff that we i I know we have in our notes that we were going to talk about but uh they really have put the button at the end summer 95 and Mm -hmm. some of this stuff is going to come back a lot of this stuff is going to come back um and I think what we've we've I think successfully conveyed here and so far is that these two shows stand apart from the summer and that they really reflect what we're going to see in the fall more so than the rest of the summer does, um, because we are still going to see big jams. We're we're going to see these first sets and other you know these very driving and aggressive sometimes uh, performance of some of these songs you know like the. Uh, 
you know, like the sparkles that just completely shred off, you know, at 10,000 BPM or whatever. And um, that stuff is still going to be happening as they are kind of tightening and tightening and listening and listening through an expansive, a really long fall tour through into December. Um, and I, 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 I love it. I love it. The whole year is, is the thing for me. It's great stuff all around it. It's great stuff throughout. Favorite tour? Probably. It's mine. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask and, you because... Yeah, go ahead. RJ and Matt are not here to defend themselves at this point. They, they, yeah. They've relinquished Suckers. this. I, I'm curious your perspective on this because we were just saying like they're going to change so dramatically. And like, you know, there are elements of... You know, we talked about this earlier in the show. There are elements that they're going to carry with them, but overall, this band is going to refine themselves. What do you think happens to Fish if they continue playing in this style, where where once a show essentially they take a song for a twenty-five plus minute ride that's not built on melodicism, it's not built on peaks, it's built on just deep, deep experimentation. Co-headlining tour with Medeski, Martin, and Wood. Um, performances with Sun Ra. They're a different band if they don't yeah. pivot from this. I mean, they're they're they were they were headed in a direction. They, but Fish has never gone in any straight line, yeah. except maybe show to show. They've always gone on an arc. Sometimes it's a downward arc, an upward arc, or a sideward arc, but it's always on an arc. There's no. It's yeah, and and that's good, but yeah, I think they they could have gone on to become a hardcore experimental band. They could have done that if they wanted to feed that monster. Um, it kind of going to what RJ was saying. I think it would have uh, been at the expense of their financial success. You know, it would have been at the expense of the arena audience arena scale audience um but then again i would be seeing him in theaters maybe because <laughs> i would yeah. still go but not everybody yeah. would and that's you know it's wild to me because when you think about and this is you know the 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 ever ongoing conversation about fish's evolution is is it I don't think either one of us would put our put a stake in like, hey, we wish they had stopped here. Like the evolution is a part of it all for me. Um, but what's wild to me is like they're getting too big playing in this fashion and then they're going to refine it. And one of the larger complaints around 1996 is that it was too safe. It was too refined. And in 1997, they come out, there's this adventurism again, but it's very, very different from 1995. And if you listen to 1995 in a vacuum, you almost can't, there's no way to predict that in two years, this is going to be a band playing funk songs and playing in a very rhythmic style that's connected. But it all makes I, sense I think, in that I think you could jump from summer 95 to summer 97. Like if sure. you listen to um, the the went gin, but not just the gin, the whole set. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you can the hear is a really good pump. The disease transition, in particular, you can hear stuff that links back. But if you listen to Hampton '97, no, you're you're going to be like, what? 
and this that was that happened to me right so sure. i stopped seeing fish uh for a year i saw them up philly 95 was my last show until the great went wow. and i loved what i heard at the great went i loved the tapes that i got from the summer in the in the europe um and then i saw them again in 122897 having a small child and uh a job and no leave and things but um and I enjoyed that show, but my friends who had just been to Hampton hated that twelve twenty eight ninety seven show in isolation in the moment because they were there for the extended funk jam thing that fish is already moving past right they're at, already that, beyond uh, at that point i mean they they yeah. they play with it on the run, but it's it's only become it's now a part of the arsenal it's not not it's not the thing anymore. Here we are two weeks off between fall tour and new year's run and they it's not yeah. part of the arsenal and that's the way fish is it's constantly changing i listened to those hampton tapes at that time i got them around that time and i was like what is this shit and i'm not the only one i know people who were like i'm done yeah. with this band totally. well I, I i thought what is this shit but then i saw them again and it was like well it wasn't that shit <laughs> and and that stuff grew on me too um you know, it's a beautiful band because of that change. I ran into a guy not too long ago. He knows I like fish. He likes fish. He saw them sometimes in the late 90s. And, and uh, you know, he mentioned fish. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I start talking about something that they've played recently. He's like, oh, I don't keep up. I just listened to 97. I was like, oh, I thought you wanted to talk about fish. <laughs> yeah, it's the constant discussion about, like, do you just like the one era or do you appreciate the, the, the evolving story? And I think that part of the reason that this conversation continues to work is I, I think we both are on the same page that like I have my moments, but I like the overall sure. story. Even even when the story doesn't align with like what I'm looking for, what I like, what my interpretation is of where yeah, the Yeah, I get sick at. of it. I took time yeah. off and I came back. 96 what is not when I did that. That was necessity. But later I took time off and then I came back. Yeah, you came back. You come back with fresh ears. And we, we will come back with fresh ears tomorrow. You get a double dose of us. You see how I did that? Um, We are going to talk about kind of similar to what Jonathan and I are talking about here at the tail end of this discussion about Summer 95, which to be clear, um, I could talk about Summer 95 and its impact on this band with you for probably the next 18 hours if if required to. And, And even if not required. I'm good, but I'd have to turn the air conditioner on. Yeah, that would mess up the sound and everything. Uh, Jonathan is sweating through this this set. It's a heater. Um, Tomorrow we're talking kind of like what we're talking about right now about a transitional period and a really fascinating one that we have not yet explored um, since this show came back in its live format, and that is Europe 1998. We are focusing on the official release of 7-6-1998. So if you want to be prepared for tomorrow's episode, go ahead and listen to that show. Uh, there are two nights in Prague. We'll mention the first night, but we're really going to focus on 7-6. There's a lot to chew out and dive into in that show. Um, and it really kind of showcases a lot of what we're talking about here, where like the band could have played that set list 12 months earlier for the most part. And it would have sounded completely different or they could have played it 12 months later and it would have sounded 
completely different. And this is one of the beauties of where fish was at in the mid to late 1990s. So we will see you tomorrow, July 6th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. But before we do that, Jonathan, can you tell us one last time about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD? I certainly can. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. In 2019, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques to build and protect healthy soils. They are 100% pesticide-free. They use minimal tillage and implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for University of Vermont's agronomists to study hemp and inform best industry practice. These guys, you've heard us talk about it. If you listen at all, we love their product. I use their uh, hemp salve regularly, um, habitually, for my hands, for my arthritis. It helps. Helps me. Helps me feel good. Um, And I also feel good about the product that I'm using because I know Mm. it is a clean, well-cared-for, responsibly produced product. And that makes me feel good. So you can check them out today at www.sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. We also want to tell you about Cash or Trade, the only secondary ticketing marketplace where fans buy, sell, trade, and trade tickets. I said the and a little bit late there. Fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. There's nothing else to do with it. (laughs) Fans are able to DM each other before, during, after a transaction and rate and review each other when a transaction is completed. No added fees to selling your tickets and all sales are fully protected by Cash or Trade's trader protection policy, which guarantees your money back. Users can avoid purchase fees with a gold membership subscription. Visit cashortrade.org to learn more as well as use their services. And as we are now under 10 days away from summer tour, it's an important time to use uh, Cash or Trade to sell or buy or trade your tickets. With that, with that, we are going to bid you all farewell. This episode will be live in about 25, 30 minutes, something around that. Um, really enjoyed this conversation about Sugarbush 95. And um, we'll be talking more 95 throughout the remainder of this year, as well as when we look ahead to next summer. Next summer, we'll talk even more summer 95. We didn't give June 95 as much love this year as we should have. We understand that. I know that. I feel bad about it every single second of every day. I'm constantly like, why didn't you have another summer 95 show into here? I know. I get it. I had to talk about June 2004. But with that, God damn it. We'll see you all tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. Eastern to talk Prog 98. Have a great evening, everyone. We'll talk with you soon.
Osiris. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. All right, my show, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, has hit one million podcast downloads because of you. This is huge. That means we're in the top 5% of all podcasts among listeners. I want to thank you for listening to the show and supporting what we do. Iron sharpens iron. On this show, we dive into the most pressing news of our time. It's not easy, but it's necessary. Providing insightful commentary and a heavy dose of fact-based truth. We cover criminal justice, politics, social justice, policy, and how racism affects us all. Find Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you are subscribed to our show so you don't miss an episode and don't forget to rate us with five stars. Now that we've reached one million podcast downloads, let's get our show to number one in the podcast charts. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.